good stuff this morning, right? I hope my goal in all of this has been, uh, as you hear stories, that it would, it would spark your own story. I mean, a sense of like, okay, God, where have you shown up for me? What are you doing in my life? Uh, what, what do you need to, to reframe, maybe, that I have a different perspective on? Um, and not to take away the memories from the past or the pain points from the past or even the pain I'm walking in now, but will you give me your perspective on those things? And so, excuse me, sorry. And so I do want to turn to this story in Luke where we meet this elderly couple. Start in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have this priestly family. And they were both righteous before God. Significant, because uh, if you know the history of the priest in Israel, that's not always true. There were many that had the role of priests representing God to the people and representing the people to God who were incredibly wicked, uh, whose hearts had, were so far away from God. And I think that's even important to remember even in our world today because we hear stories in the headlines of pastors and preachers and Christian leaders who are in positions of authority, supposed to represent God and Jesus to people and people to God, and, uh, and their hearts are not close to Jesus. They don't represent him well. So we keep looking to God in those places. But here in this case, we actually have a priestly family who is devoted, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But when we get introduced to their pain point, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. It's a story that begins with the pain of this family, in a sense with the lack of peace, shalom. Now, in the Bible, peace it doesn't just simply mean the absence of conflict. What it means is wholeness, wellness, everything being as it should be. One Bible dictionary defines peace as, or shalom, as the total well-being, prosperity, and security associated with God's presence among his people. And here's a family hurting, longing, yearning for a child, which even today is a, is a normal and, uh, and good thing that walked with many families longing for children or in that season of, of wrestling with being childless. But back then, especially, when your whole legacy, your whole future was dependent upon having children. In fact, it was assumed socially that God's blessing was revealed in your life by the number of children that you have. And here's this family, devoted, righteous, faithful to God, and yet without this blessing from God. I think even here is an important reminder it's easy sometimes when we're, when we're experiencing peace, the lack of peace or a place of pain in our life to assume that there must be something I'm not doing right. 
You know, if I, maybe if I just pray more. Maybe if I read my Bible more. Maybe if I serve more. Surely there's something I can do that, that will turn the tide in God's favor and I will get, and he will meet me in this place of, of pain, of angst, of longing and yearning. But here we have a family that's doing all the right things. And they still have this place of pain, this lack of peace in their lives. Lack of wholeness, well-being, everything as it should be. Now, I will say, if you are experiencing angst, a lack of peace uh, in your soul, one of the best first questions to ask is, okay, God, is there something I'm doing? Is there something that, it, that I'm uh, engaged in, the choices or decisions or the lack of, of something that you're inviting me into? But, but we also can hold that loosely because we see here a family doing all the right things. And so we begin this story in the absence of, of peace, of wholeness, with an ache. But I want you to flip forward to the end of this story. Chapter 1, verse 76. God meets Zechariah, and we'll get into that in just a minute. And at the end of the story, Zechariah is singing this song before the Lord. And listen to the final words of this song. Because of the tender, or sorry, and you, child, this prophetic song, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of so we see in this story a journey that begins with the absence of peace and it ends with a father who is confident that he knows how to follow Jesus into the way of peace. And so wherever you are in that journey this morning, maybe you've been on that journey in the past or we all at some point will one day, it is absolutely critical that we learn how to move from that place of absence, that place of longing, yearning, pain, to confidence and knowing the way to peace. And so let's look at how God met Zechariah. Go back into the story. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest in his role... Before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So to understand the context of this is that in Israel at the time, there were about 18,000 total priests. And, uh, and they didn't always serve in the temple. In fact, they, most of the time, they would spend their time maybe as a farmer or in their fields or practicing their trade. But at their appointed time for their division, it would be their turn to, to do their service in the temple. Sort of like the National Guard now. You know, it's, it's their time to show up and, and to, to do their thing. And this is Zechariah's time to serve. His two weeks. 
And during that time of service, you, lots would be drawn to determine who would actually get to go into the temple. Remember, that was the holy place where the, the dwelling, where God dwelled with his people. The presence of God available. And so it was this high honor. If the lot was chosen for you to be the very one that got to go into the place where God dwelled. And sure enough, in this two-week window, on this particular day, at this particular hour, the time of prayer Zechariah's name gets drawn. It's sort of like winning the priestly lottery, so to speak. In fact, there, the odds are that this may be the only time in his entire life that he would have had that privilege. But we recognize that this isn't luck or circumstances, absolutely God's hand in it all. But in this once-in-a-lifetime honor, he makes his way in that hour of prayer to burn the incense. If you want to write in your Bible, uh, Exodus chapter 30, the, the altar of incense that stood in front of the curtain separating the way to the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That hour of incense representing this hour of prayer. Psalm 141.2 says, I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So in this place of prayer, in the presence of God, God shows up for Zechariah. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so God tells Zechariah that I am answering your prayer, and not just in any way. This isn't just any ordinary child. This is a child that is fulfilling God's salvation plan. They went all the way back to their original ancestor, Abraham, or even as the uh, letters of Paul tell us, God knew this plan before the creation of the world. This child that all of history was being pointed to, Jesus, that their son was going to be the one that came to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, the final words of the last prophet who spoke before the silence of God between the Old and the New Testament made this prophecy that there would come one before the one to come. He would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers and make a way for the Lord. And this prophetic fulfillment was also the fulfillment of their longing and their heart. And what is Zechariah's reply 
when confronted with the reality that God is actually showing up with the answer that his heart had been longing for? Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For, for I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Even Zechariah had a hard time saying his wife was old, didn't he? <laughs> this promise that God is going to give them, the thing their hearts long for, is hard for Zechariah to receive. He doesn't know what to do with it. It doesn't fit his grid, his frame of reference. And, and the angel knows Zechariah's heart, his response. We can't get everything out of his words except that he's questioning. He doesn't understand it. But listen to the angel's response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It's almost like you can imagine him bowing up a little bit. Do you know who I am, son? And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people, they were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute and when his time of service was ended he went to his home and after these days his wife elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying thus the lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach my shame among people so sure enough the angel's words come true but for Zechariah, even though his heart was longing for a child who would bring a sense of wholeness, that presence of wholeness in their lives, when God shows up to fulfill their longing, it's troubling. He's afraid. He's doubtful. You see, on this journey from his ache to a place of peace, even though he's remained faithful to God, somewhere along the line, he's gotten used to that ache. He's grown familiar with his pain. He's actually become comfortable with his disappointment. Why? Because it's hard to change. To move from a place to aching, of aching to a place of peace, it will require change. It, it will, and change is hard. It's hard to believe. It's hard to take that next step of faith, to let go of what we've been holding on to, even though we say we don't want it. It doesn't feel good. Sometimes it's hard to let go of that, of that pain. To receive what God has next. So maybe God is moving you in your journey from a place of longing to a place of peace, but it will require something to change. It will require you to be vulnerable, honest, to risk. It's a journey of faith to walk with God into the unknown. And that's scary. You see, even the sense that Zechariah wants a sign from God, but the sign that, God give, that the angel gives him is silence. A season of silence. Now, can you imagine going nine months 
with your wife pregnant and not being able to say a word? <laughs> yeah, I think Sadie might have actually appreciated that at times. <laughs> and, and it's ironic. I mean, it's the story of, the, of a man, a, a preacher, a, pa, a, a priest, who's a, who's a man of words, who's supposed to, to represent to the community the words of God, speaking about God, even speaking for God, being struck mute when God actually spoke to him. The silence. In the silence, the only conversation available to him was with God, the one he actually needed to hear from. And God didn't need Zechariah to tell him all the things that Zechariah thought. Zechariah needed God to tell him all the things that God thought. So in this place, this journey from longing to peace, into this calling, into the next thing, into the fear of the unknown, in this place, this troubling, difficult place where we don't have answers to all of our questions, it's God saying, it's okay. It's okay. But just sit here with me for a minute. Just sit with, here with me. This is honestly why we start our year the way we do at Grace. Uh, Charity alluded to it, what we call Watch Week. And we set aside, and it happens to fall, that uh, January 1st is on a Sunday this year. And so we'll set aside that first week of the year, Sunday to Sunday, and we'll turn this auditorium here into uh, prayer stations and invite you to sign up for an hour of prayer, similar to this story of Zechariah. Except it's not a lottery. You all get that gift. And we'll give you a, a, a prayer guide to walk you through those stations. So if you want to sit with God at one for the whole time, that is totally up to you. In fact, what the, the feedback that we hear so often, as we've done this a number of years now, is, you know, m- many people have this question, like, oh, man, I, I have a hard time praying for a minute. How in the world am I going to pray for an hour? And what we hear on the other side of it is, that was the fastest hour of my life. I got to the end of the hour, and I wasn't even halfway through, you know, walking through where I thought I was going to go. And so I invite you into that. And in fact, we've begun signups for those hours. Our goal is that 24-7 prayer would flow out of this place for that first week of the year, and that we would stop and silence and listen to what God has for us at the beginning of the year. And so on the lobby out there and in the coffee shop, you'll see a place to sign up or you can go online and sign up for an hour, whether it's 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. or 6 a.m. with your family or by yourself or with your, your grace group, whatever it is. But we recognize that this isn't just an interesting idea that what Zechariah did, or God did for Zechariah, this is a crucial idea, a critical foundational idea that we get for ourselves in our lives right now because we live in a world that is not at peace. And sometimes we think of peace as this thing out there. It's the war in Ukraine. It's the conflict in the Middle East. It's the shootings happening in Walmarts and in schools. And if we could get peace out there, but we also have to recognize that there's also the longing for peace in here. In the places of chaos and questioning and pain and grief in our own souls. And it's so easy in a world that is constantly buzzed and dinged and distracted where you honestly don't ever have to sit in silence for a single minute. If you're standing in line at the grocery store for 30 seconds, 
or on the toilet for however long that takes you. You have this, right? Oh, I know. Don't act like, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? How, when was the last time? And I say this, all my pastoral love. When was the last time that you just sat in silence with nothing but God for an extended period of time? And then we wonder why we're so angsty. Why anxiousness and depression is rules are is epidemic in our world today. Because our lives are not at rest and we sit in our pain and we've grown comfortable with our pain and God is inviting us into a new place. But that's scary and it's uncomfortable and we don't like it. And so this word from the angel isn't a punishment for Zechariah, it's a gift. It's a grace. And that God-imposed silence gave him a lot of time. And what happens in that nine months? Well, we come, pick back up, fast forward. There's a few little stories, other significant stories of the time that are fit in there, but flip forward to, to uh, verse 57. Now came the time for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Fulfillment of that angel's word. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her, this child that didn't just bring peace but joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. I mean, so it was very, uh, would have been expected in, um, in that world that day that this first son uh, and this miracle baby would be named after the father but his mother answered no 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 he should be called John and they pushed back on it they said no wait none of your relatives are named John and so they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. That's the word that God had given him. And they all wondered at this, marveled. And immediately, in that place of obedience, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And it was talked about through all the hill country. And all who heard it laid it up in their hearts saying, what shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is a significant moment in this journey from longing to peace. Where, uh, where, where Zechariah is confronted with his doubts. He's moved into a season of silence. And God fulfills his promises. And in fact gives Zechariah the very thing that Zechariah felt like he was most missing. And now Zechariah has a choice what he will do with the fulfillment of this promise. Will he grab that child, this thing his heart has longed for for decades, and say, no, this one is mine. 
I've ached for this kid, and yes, God, you've now given me what my heart longed for. It is mine. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to be happy. And I'm going to put the, my, the stamp of my identity on this child. Or he can take this very thing that he was longing for that God provided and open his hand, and in a sense, surrender his child back to the Lord in this obedience. And John, Zechariah takes the second option. I will give this child the name God has for this child. And we see that the season of silence has done its work because Zechariah now sits in a place of trust, of surrender. This journey to peace is a way of hearing from, receiving, and holding open-handed before God. There are times that we can start in this place of aching and longing for God to fulfill a promise. God, will you move me into this next place? Will you give me this thing my heart longs for? Will you, will you heal this brokenness? Will you supply the job or restore that relationship? We need a house or a car. God, we need this thing. And then God in his faithfulness is good and supplies the thing we think will bring us peace. And we immediately take a hold of it. Instead of taking hold of the one who gives it. But the full journey of walking in the way of peace isn't complete until we're able to receive from the Lord and thank him and hold it open-handed before him. Because otherwise, the very thing that was meant to, to help fulfill tangible peace in our lives or to move us towards wholeness can actually become the very source of deeper ache and pain in our lives. And what is Zechariah filled with in that moment? Not doubt, but praise. And he sings this song that we already read the end of. That he moves from silence to godly perspective. How can I know this for sure? To blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And what we see is this movement from this pain or this, this longing for peace in here that becomes a proclamation of peace for the world. That global peace actually begins with local peace. As we long for peace out there, and as Jesus even calls us to be peacemakers in the world, that it begins in this place of silence with God. Because we can't give what we don't have. It's interesting, Zechariah, when he was leaving the temple, and there, the crowd waiting for him after that hour of prayer for the community, what he was supposed to go and do is to step out in front of the crowd and speak a blessing over them. Presumably the blessing from Numbers chapter 6, the priestly blessing, which declares... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face toward you and give you peace. And when Zechariah walks out of the temple, he can't speak because he can't give what he doesn't have. 
now he stands in a place of having encountered God and declaring a blessing over the entire world. And so for us, one of the great lessons of Christmas is that the greatest gifts we're given are meant to be the greatest gifts that we give. And so even as Charity shares her story and, and Dawn tells her testimony, what they've received is now something they have to give. And that longing for peace in here becomes a place that we are able to enter into this world to bring peace out there. And so one final story, I wanted to invite my friend Alicia up. We talk about praying into the ways of peace and leading in the ways of peace. I don't know a person that better defines that for me than you. I mean, you actually started a company that has peace in its name, so. But I wanted uh, Alicia to just share. Alicia has been on the journey of discovering peace, but also being a peacemaker in the Middle East. Alicia leads our, our trips and our teams, uh, the work that we do, partnering with Young Life in the Middle East and all of our epic experiences. And so I just wanted Alicia to share with us as we think about that journey from peace in here to peace out there, what does peace mean for you? Um, <clears throat> yeah, as I was thinking about um, peace this whole week and just this idea that um, peace is a person. There's this inextricable link between peace and Jesus. Um, I even love that, that line that Brian's been preaching about this morning, that prophecy that Jeremiah spoke about John the Baptist, and that he would be the one who would guide our feet into the path of peace. He guided people into the path of Jesus, who is our peace. Paul says it in Ephesians 2.14, for he, Jesus, himself is our peace. And it's even what um, that night that comes up next in this story, over the skies of Bethlehem, the heavenly host declared, Peace, glory to God in the highest, peace to all men. This declaration of peace as Jesus was born, the world should never be the same again because peace has arrived. Jesus has arrived. But yet, I live in this place just outside of Bethlehem many months of the year, and there's like this cognitive dissonance between that declaration that the heavenly host made of peace and what's really going on there today. If you walk around Bethlehem, you'll see this 30-foot concrete apartheid wall that separates brother from brother. Tear, tear gas bombs fly on almost a daily basis. People are in conflict with each other. Young people die way too often. And what's that all about? For the heavenly host declared peace over that city. And we know that Jesus himself, when he was walking in that land, as he was entering into the last week of his life, and he got on that donkey at the top of the Mount of Olives, and he started riding into Jerusalem. And he got halfway down the mountain, and he looked over at the city of Jerusalem where the temple stood, and it says Jesus wept over that city. And he said, if you, if only you 
this day what would bring you peace. But it's hidden from your eyes. Why was it hidden from their eyes? Because they couldn't receive their king. They didn't receive their king. They thought they were, but they were looking for a king of power and might and dominance over their enemies. Not a king of humility and a king of peace. They didn't receive him. But yet there's this mystery of the kingdom. There's always that remnant of those who have received where that seed is sown into the good soil. And there are those of us who have received. John writes about it in his gospel. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us and to those who received him was given the right to be called children of God. And that's what we are. And he says in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, children of God. It's what we are. And he has entrusted to us a ministry of reconciliation. Paul calls us ambassadors of the kingdom of God. It's what we are. And we each have a place where that can be at work in this world. And for me, it's in the Middle East, it's in Bethlehem, it's in Jerusalem, it's in Palestine, it's in Israel. I get the amazing opportunity of working with a ministry of young life and preaching peace to kids who have never heard about it before, who don't know Jesus. And what a joy that is, but it's hard. But you've heard Charity's story, you've heard all these other stories of people who have their place to preach peace to. So where's your place? After the services today, I'm actually getting on an airplane and heading back over there. And it's a tough place to go back to right now. There's a lot of um, tough stuff happening for lots of different reasons. And there's so many times that I've sat under those skies in Bethlehem and looked up and said, Lord, bring that heavenly host again and let them declare peace over this land again because obviously not enough people heard what you said. (laughs) And just like he has many times before, he'll say, oh my child, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Go. Preach peace. And so that's my prayer for every one of us this morning, that we would get swept up in that same thing. As my Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. pray over you and this work is going on because we are seeing a movement of peace in some of the most unexpected places and some of the most unexpected little towns kind of like Bethlehem this little no-name town so Lord Jesus I do pray for Alicia we pray for her travels even as she gets ready to go back into that place that you first showed up and Lord we also we thank you for the ways that you are at work we thank you for the ways that you're working and the kids and families with special needs and Capernaum clubs and these
these young life leaders that are going into schools and building friendships and mentoring relationships with kids among Muslim villages and Christian villages and Jewish villages, pointing all of them to you, Jesus, the only true peace. And so, Lord, I pray you give Alicia and her team wisdom. Give us wisdom as a church as we continue to sow seeds of peace in that land, as we continue to send people and teams, as we continue to pray. But God, I also ask that even right now, Lord, in our own hearts, may it begin with us, that we would stand in a place of confident expectation, of open-hearted praise, that we would stand in the places of pain and fear, and let Jesus invite you into those places, and that we could walk from that place into this world as the peacemakers that you've called us to be. So I pray, even for Alicia, a deep peace in her own soul, continued reminder that you are with her, you love her, and you go before her every step of the way. We send her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And so we're going to continue or close our time and, and worship and just invite you to just, in your own heart, receive what the Lord has for you this morning. Whether he's bringing healing into a place of pain or maybe for the first time, he's inviting you to encounter Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to surrender your life to him as king, to receive forgiveness, the true peace for our souls. Or maybe he's calling you to be a person who tells your story. Maybe not up on a stage, maybe to a coworker, or a friend, or a neighbor, a family member. Just say, hey, I just want to tell you what God's done for me. The song we're about to sing uh, is actually, we, we chose it specifically, not just for the words, though it is a beautiful movement from peace in here to peace out there, but because of the story of the song. It's uh, written by a guy named Henry Longfellow, a famous poet from the 1800s, and had gone through the tragedy of losing his wife in an unexpected way uh, in a house fire. A few years later, a couple years later after that, he sent his son off to the Civil War and was a Union soldier and got news in December that his son had been wounded. And not knowing whether his son was still alive or dead, he made his way to the battlefield makeshift hospital and sat and knelt with his son on Christmas Day, 1863. And as he heard the bells announcing the presence of God in Jesus Christ and knelt there next to his son, not knowing whether he would live or die, feeling the grief of losing his wife, he wrote these words. And what I want you to pay attention to in these words is this honest recognition of the broken brutality of this world and yet this looking from pain to the one who's come to save. So we're going to sing, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and then invite you into communion, this time of receiving the continued presence and forgiveness of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Will you stand and worship with me?